Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Good morning, church. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. As you look around, you see it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Santa's elves have been very busy this past week. So thank you to all those who participated and shared as we're getting ready now, making our way to Bethlehem. And it's during this time of year that I enjoy reading letters from children to Santa Claus. Let me share a few. Here's one. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There's Jeffrey two, David four, Norman seven. Jeffrey's good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. <laughs> And then this little girl wrote this. Dear Santa, last year I asked for a new baby brother. This Christmas, I'm asking you to take him back. <laughs> Love, Susan. And this is my favorite here. I want to show it to you on the screen. The little boy wrote to Santa and simply put the Amazon link <laughs> to what he really wanted. Now, when I saw that, I thought, I sure hope that Santa types in all the correct letters and numbers <laughs> there. Somebody once said there are four stages of life. There's the stage in which you believe in Santa Claus, the stage that you don't believe in Santa Claus, the stage in which you are Santa Claus, and the stage that you look like Santa Claus. And for some of us, with all the holiday cheer, with all the holiday cookies, some of us are in danger of looking a little bit like Santa Claus. But the question is, what does God think about all this? What does God think about Santa Claus Now, I want to give the parents and grandparents a little heads up so you won't worry. This pastor's pro-Santa. <laughs> I have been ever since I was a small boy. <laughs> But there are some preachers that nurse a near hatred of Santa. And they say silly things. Like, did you know that Santa spelled sideways as Satan and all these things like that? <laughs> You're not going to hear that from this pastor here. In this sermon series, we're looking at some of the special symbols and icons and celebrations of Christmas that we all enjoy, but we're going to go beyond that to see how they connect and why they exist, and then most of all, and why we exist here, is we're going to tell the Christmas story in all of its fullness, which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I know about Santa, since he's our theme today. I think he would say that, make sure that you put me into proper perspective. I think he gets a little embarrassed when we make too much fun of him. Saint Nicholas was actually a pastor. He was a church leader. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, as we shall see in the message today. And so what I think he would say to us today is, let me be the John the Baptist figure 
of your holiday season. So today, I want to invite you to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and we're going to explore this whole concept of John the Baptist and also see how he relates through the lens of this very popular character with a red hat. John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles and you're not sure where that's at in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I'm reading verses 19 to 31. Let's listen to God's word today. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, then why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, straps of those sandals I am not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. God's word today. Now to set this whole thing up about John the Baptist, let me tell you one other story through the lens of an old West town. I watched a lot of Westerns growing up, so I hope you can relate to this. I want you to picture in your mind a West Texas town. And all of a sudden on the horizon, into the town comes a horse with a beaten, battered cowboy near death. He's stooped over in the saddle. So the townsfolk come out to help him, to rescue him. But he's near death as he says, beware, big Jake is coming. And then he dies. The people were scared to death. And so they hid their children because big Jake was coming. The women went and they hid. The men put bars on their doors and their windows. Some went into the saloon and they turned over tables and they waited and waited to high noon. And then on the horizon, a horse started coming into town and it was the biggest, baddest looking cowboy they'd ever seen in their life. He was wearing a black hat. You can tell I've watched a lot of Westerns. He had a black patch over one eye and a big scar down his chin. He had two six guns and he had rifles on the side strapped with bullets and he rode into town as the tumbleweeds went by him. 
And when he got to the saloon, he tied up his horse and he walked in. And when he walked through the doors, he tore off the hinges as he walked up to the bar. And behind the bar, there was a little timid bartender balding with um, suspenders. (laughs) He pulled out a bottle of whiskey, but this big, awesome cowboy grabbed it. And in one gulp, he took it all down. (laughs) And the bartender said, would you like another one? And the guy said, oh, no, I can't stay. I got to get out of here. Big Jake is coming. (laughs) Now, John the Baptist was a lot like this cowboy. He was an awesome figure that came to announce an even greater figure in Jesus. But many mistook the messenger for the Messiah. Now, unlike this cowboy, John was attractive. John was a good guy. And he was so attracted, attractive that he attracted people like bugs are attracted to a floodlight. When you read the Gospels, you get the impression that whenever John the Baptist cleared his throat out in the Judean wilderness, all of Jerusalem emptied out. John the Baptist was the Pied Piper of Palestine. And people came from all over to see him and to hear him cry out in the wilderness, repent and be baptized. And he gained a great following. He was so popular that 60 years after this, when John gave us his gospel writing, people were still talking about John the Baptist. So John made sure to include this story because people were following John. Listen to what John writes. John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light. He was not the light. And in verse 20, he confessed, I am not the Messiah. Underline that in verse 20. I am not the Messiah. The greatness of John the Baptist lay in his humility. When Jesus came on the scene, some of John's followers came to him concerned because they knew that people had started to follow Jesus. And Jesus was becoming more and more popular. And so we have that story where the disciples of John said, well, what should we do with Jesus, John? They're following him and not you. John the Baptist only smiled and said, he, meaning Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And I believe the character of Christmas called Santa reflects John the Baptist's message during this holiday season. He, meaning Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. I'm just a messenger. Jesus is the Messiah. Have a Christ-centered Christmas. The reason I believe that and actually know that is because Nicholas of Myra, or who we call Saint Nicholas or Saint Nick, was actually a pastor. He was a priest who became a bishop in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, Virginia, 
there really is a Santa Claus. Now, the details of Nicholas's life are hazy, and many legends have arose over the years. But let me tell you a little bit of the story from church history, as much as we know. Nicholas was born around 280 AD in southern Turkey in the region called Myra to wealthy parents. He was the only child. And we don't know the details of what happened, but at an early age, he lost his parents and he became very wealthy. He was an orphan, but he got the inheritance and he became wealthy. A few years later, he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal savior and he was called to the ministry. He did some training and schooling and he became a priest. He became a pastor. He was so popular, history tells us, that at a young age, the people of the region of Myra wanted him to be their bishop, which would be the head of the church of that region. And over his objections, because he was extremely humble, he got this position to become the bishop of Myra. Now, this is where we have a lot of stories. But basically, it boils down to this famous story that's told in many different ways. When he was bishop at one time, there were there was a family in his parish with three daughters. They were very poor. They didn't have much. They didn't have much future. And in the middle of a night, Nicholas went out as a person of means, and he dropped three bags of money or gold through their window. And from that story, legend rose. First, it was unexpected gifts come from Nicholas, and then later, over the years, St. Nicholas. And so children around the Christmas season started to put out their socks in hopes that St. Nicholas would come and give them an unexpected gift, perhaps candy or another treat. Now, our culture has transformed St. Nicholas over the years. Poet Emma Stone gave him eight tiny reindeer. <laughs> it was the cartoonist Thomas Nash who made him big and fat and wearing a red suit. But what you need to know is behind all those stories, there was an orphan boy who really lived in southern Turkey who became a priest, who became a pastor, who became a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his heart, and God used him to change the world. Now, he became so popular that some have placed him in history at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Why is that important? Because from that church council produced the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest creeds of the Christian faith. Now, it's debatable whether he was there. He would have been in the region. He would have been living at the time. We think he died around 340. His name is not mentioned, so you can go on the internet and you can hear all kinds of different theories on it all. But one thing that we do know is that he was a person who made an impact for Christ. You see, 
Santa is on our side. <laughs> Amen? He, he's one of us. And he has come over the years, especially in the hearts of children, to symbolize the joy of Christmas. And certainly this world needs joy. Now let's just push pause right here. And we ask the question, well, how did the church begin to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th? I want to share a little bit of history here. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But we at Gingsburg believe that the past is important. See, many of us live in the present with no understanding of the past. But in order for us to truly understand our faith and why we do the things that we do, we have to understand where we've come from so we can know where we're going. Why do we put a Christmas tree in a church building? Why would we do that? Some people would reject that. Well, there's some tradition there. There's some reasons there. So why did the church start to observe the birth of Jesus around December 25th in the Roman world? Because most will argue that Jesus was not born in the winter. He was born at a different time. Well, church officials chose the time that the Roman Empire was celebrating the winter solstice, which was a pagan holiday. Remember that December 21st is the shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. In fact, in the Arctic communities of Canada and Alaska, such as Tuktoyukduk on the Arctic Ocean, they're in polar darkness today. For the next 40-some days, they will not see the sun. And then they have a big celebration of light later on. And so in Italy, of course, they had light, but it got darker earlier, just like here. And so this was the time of the winter solstice, where they would celebrate light. And as the church gained more influence over the years and became the dominant voice of the culture, they used it as a springboard to share the message. They said, at the time that the whole empire is looking for light and celebrating light, we've got a light for you. Let me tell you about the true light of life, the real light, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. See the genius of that? as they shared the good news. And they chose St. Nicholas as the symbol of Christians celebrating, Christians having fun. Imagine that. Christians? You can actually have fun? Now, I say all that because as a student of history, you need to know that this view of Christmas as we know it hasn't always been popular even within the church. There was a time in England during the Oliver Cromwell years of the early 17th century that England banned the celebration of Christmas. These were religious leaders. These were church leaders. Now, you can imagine how popular that was. <laughs> it was about as popular as the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit in the 1970s, 
people just ignore it. And riots broke out on the streets in England because they demanded to celebrate Christmas. But this view of a high celebration of Christmas has not always been. In fact, 100 years later, around 1750, in the height of the years of John Wesley, who is uh, one of our spiritual fathers in the Methodist tradition, he wasn't overly keen on this grand celebration, even though that his own brother Charles wrote one of the most beloved Christmas carols of all times, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. How did all this come about? In the United States, the celebration of Christmas didn't become customary as we know it until the latter part of the 19th century. The immigrants who flooded our shores brought different traditions. The Germans brought the Christmas tree. The Irish brought the idea of festivity. The Catholics from Eastern Europe brought the whole novel idea of taking a day off. And this grand celebration kept growing and growing and growing and growing, even to the fact that you can walk into a Walmart or Targets or Menards and you can hear a Mariah Carey singing at the, about the birth of Jesus on a holy night in public space. All this has happened, and it's over the top. And you know what I say? Praise the Lord. <laughs> because if there's anything that should go over the top, it's our grand celebration that hope has come, amen? That light has come into the midst of darkness. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and joy has come. Have you ever really thought about how Luke describes the birth of in Bethlehem. It was a time of great joy. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and had seen, which were just as they had been told. Joy, joy. Do you have the joy now, let me say this. If it was a time of great joy, then why is it that there's so many Christians that walk around this time of year as if they've been baptized in prune juice? <laughs> and they tell others, become a Christian and you could be miserable like me. <laughs> I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We sang that song, joy to the world. Do you have it today? And that joy is real. It's too bad that people have to leave the church to find their joy. I pause because I want you to underline that in your mind. It's a shame that people have to leave the church to find their joy. Because what they do is they look for all kinds of counterfeit and artificial means that don't fully sustain, whether it be in food or in pleasure or in sex or in vice or whatever it might be. But what they're really looking for is something greater. They're looking for light in the midst of their life. They're looking for love. They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for salvation that can only be given to us in our Savior who has come 
for each of us. Joy. Joy that transforms the heart that fills our hearts today. Have you found that joy? Do you know that joy? The joy that's not determined by our outward circumstances or what we had for lunch the next day, but it runs deep. So let's wrap things up. What would God say to us about Santa Claus? I, I think he'd say this. Go ahead if you want to. Celebrate this beautiful symbol that especially brings joy to many kids. If you want to, put them on Christmas cards. Perhaps uh, sing Bruce Springsteen, Santa Claus is coming to town on the radio when it comes on. That's okay. If you want to put up one of those big balloons in your front yard, we won't do that at the Millers. But if you want to do that, waving, that's fine. But never forget that Santa rides on the back of the sleigh with John the Baptist, (laughs) preparing the way, telling the story about the true king, (laughs) the coming of a much greater figure, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the joy of Christmas. Thank you that our joy this season is not based upon stories or legends or nice parties and certainly not the artificial high of alcohol or food or parties. It does not depend upon the giving and receiving of materialistic things. Our joy comes from the blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you that even St. Nicholas, this mysterious figure from the past, was actually a proclaimer, a Jesus follower. And now he symbolizes the joy of Christmas during this season for many. We pray the world might know us by our joy. And we pray that that joy will become contagious and irresistible for it comes from the living presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that's with us this morning. But that is our prayer and our hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.